Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Pints and Perspectives, a podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church, where we believe that there's a plethora of theological perspectives and plenty of beer to go around. Yo, 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 we are back and we got some new toys. Well, old toys, but yeah, new space, new look, we, new... New space, new look, uh, new... New vibes. New co-host... Uh, that was a joke. No, new uh, but no uh, not anymore. He, he, he actually, You're not new anymore. He actually won't let me leave. Uh, it's true. To, to be honest, it's true. <laughs> so uh, we figured out what these buttons do, and um, well, I knew what they were. I just <laughs> never had this set up in a way where I could have headphones plugged into it and like be able to use them in some kind of meaningful way. And now we do. He, Cullen can't hear what I'm doing though. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> I can't. He, so he if you post, he's gonna hear it all in post. Yeah, so. and if you don't like it, let Adam know in the comments that hey, you don't like his uh, newfound toys. That's right. That's right. So um, you know, it's gonna feel a little shock jockey, but uh, we're gonna get our own. We're gonna get our own samples loaded into this thing. Anyways, welcome back to Pines and Perspectives. We're off to a rip roaring good start. Uh, yeah, different space. Um, something a little bit uh more not permanent. Uh, permanent is the wrong word, but no, but just a little more stationary. We don't have to do setup and tear down anymore. Yeah, we don't have to tear it down. It's got a little bit, got a little bit more true podcast vibes. Indeed, got some of our books now. I um want to go through each and every one of these books and why they've been selected, but that would be an episode. That would be an episode entirely itself. So if you're only listening on uh Apple or Spotify or wherever you find your podcast, there is a YouTube video version of this uh podcast and every episode of it. And we would love for you to go check us out because I am so stinking handsome. <laughs> My wife says so, so it must be true. Of course, of course, of course. All right, let's drink beer. Yes. Let's drink beer. Yes. Adam, what are you drinking? I uh, have no clue about this beer. Uh, it's from the brewery is 11 Below Brewing. H-Town. They're from Houston? They I, are. I, don't, I can't say that I've had anything from this brewery. Do we know they a neighbor? They're on Burgess Road. Where is that? What part of town uh, is that? looks over, it's kind of in the Willowbrook Mall area, so west side. Okay, 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 okay. No, Jersey Village. Yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. The Beltway. 11 Below, what's up? Uh, first first uh, exposure to your beers. This is their Goat Getter, Texas Bach. Um, it is a goat anthropomorphized onto into like a human body with a sweater with the arms cut off. It's just, there's a lot going on. Yeah, I looked at it when I bought it. But, I thought it uh, was interesting marketing. Uh, 6.2% Bach, uh, 22 IBUs. I can't find it on their website. I wonder it, if it's a seasonal thing because it looks like a Christmas sweater maybe. Uh, oh, yeah, it's ripped up. It's, maybe it is, weird. but they have their seasonals and they're sometimes on their website. Like my beer is a uh, seasonal beer from them. Okay. Okay. It's on here. Tell so, us about your beer then. Uh, yeah. So this is, uh, they call it their Dublin me luck and it's an Irish red <laughs> ale. Dublin me luck. Oh, like doubling. Well, like but, Dublin, but, Ireland, but, but doubling. It's a, dub, it's a double entendre of, of double. And Dublin, and du- yeah. Wow, that's yeah, deep. yeah, that's yeah, deep, yeah, yeah. They're they're killing it. Uh, oh, and oh, look St. on Patrick's their recycle Day. can. It said on the recycle part, it says "Irish." You would recycle. Mine says recycling is the G O A T greatest oh. of all time. 
Hey, so, look, I like that. I like that uh, customization. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, this is a seasonal beer from them. Because um, of St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. Yep, St. Patty's Day. So it's available in the winter. Um, it's 5.6 ABV, 20 IBU. So that's real, real low if you did It was a red ale. Yeah, red ale. Not going to be high in hops. Also, if you're, unless you're doing an IPA, if you're drinking European-style beers, you're not going to have a lot of hops. Yeah, right. Like, it's not their preferred flavor. They mess around with wheats and malts much more. And over here in America, we mess around with uh, hops a lot more. We like that bitter. Yeah, so the malts in it actually are Vienna malt, which is, you know, just barely more than like a like a Pilsner malt on oh, the level I one scale. I, I did not know anything about yep. that malt. And then Carafoam. Caramel and barley, those get a little more. Caramel is going to be in like the 400, 500 level bond range. When you get into like stouts, like this is how you get your colors. When you get into stouts, you're looking at like eight, nine hundred, a thousand level bonds to get like rich, dark, coffee, black colors. Yep. Fugal hops. Fugal hops and EKG. Those seem. uh, stands for echocardiogram. Oh, there you go. You're welcome. That's that's just um, years of Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen every episode of every season. Uh, okay. <laughs> Truth. Oh, my gosh. All right. Cheers, bud. Hey, cheers. H time. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And the crowd goes wild. The crowd goes wild. Uh, I can only imagine what that sounded like. We this podcast just improved a whole lot, guys. Or devolved into something terrible. Uh you go first. Uh yeah. So if you know red ales, um, especially Irish red ales, are you a fan? Oh yeah, most definitely. Okay. Yes. Killigan's is Killigan's. There's one, um, there's this restaurant. I don't is this just a Texas thing? There is a restaurant called BJ's. It's like a pizza BJ's place. brew house. Yeah. And they brew, they have like maybe 10 now different uh, in-house uh, yeah. beers, varieties. They have, and most of them are not that, all, nothing to write home about, but their red ale, they have an Irish red ale, and it is my, it is just out of this world. Mm. I, I don't know if they have those in other places though. Um, So I think it's really good. It actually, um. 20 IBUs, it's a little more bitter than really? I would normally expect. Is it how malt? It's real malty. Is it sweet? Is uh, it, okay, no, good. it's not real sweet. It's not real sweet. Oh my gosh. That is the perfect spring beer. Yeah. 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 Man, it does have a lot of bitterness on the you, back of the palate. Uh, for an Irish red. Yeah. On the finish. On the finish. Yeah. Yeah. Normally you would have like really. Um, like clean, almost creamy, sweet creamy. flavor. Yeah. Uh, and this leaves you with like a, a little bit of bitter It's a little backness. bit of, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I love it. Is it, it I will go ahead and say that it is a non-traditional Irish red. Yeah. It is not a traditional Irish red. I don't dislike it though. Yeah, I think good. I think I'm going to be in like the, I don't know, six, eight, six, nine. Like it, yeah, it's good. Okay. Uh, yeah, this Bach. Let me talk about this Bach. So uh, I love Bach. I think we did the uh, St. Arnold's um, Spring Bach. Yep. Uh, yep. Maybe the last episode or something. That's like my one of my favorite beers of all time. And I, I love all Bach, like the style of. Mm. And this one is perfectly balanced. 
it's not too um because some box some box can be a little too sweet some box can be a little too like just bland like yeah. just flat yep. this thing is like perfectly balanced um i really not really too like sweet it. not too sweet give um, me a give me a comparable is it like a crawford bach level sweet or no. is it like a shiner bach a ziggenbach uh yeah like like a, a little spring bach st arnold well spring bach is so sweet um like like a crawford bach but a little less sweet it's like right okay. in the middle it's this right okay. in the middle it's it's a really good it's well balanced um yeah and it's 6.2 percent alcohol by volume it so it's got a little kick to it yeah just a little bit i'm gonna give it a seven okay and a half oh oh okay there you go and and, um, and the crowd goes wild <laughs> uh this would actually be a good uh time to briefly give some people a, a, a beer nugget um, a beer nugget. What's a beer nugget? <laughs> uh, a nugget of information about beer. Oh, uh, I thought um, it was something you bought at like uh, Buffalo Wild Wings. No. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like corn nuggets? Or whatever. Uh, no. Um, if, if you're going to think about beer, so this is an Irish red ale, and that's a Texas Bach. Yeah. Um, a Bach is a type of lager. Okay. And a lager Not an ale. is different than an ale. Right. Yeah. And so the way you should really think about this, and this is the best way I've figured out how to communicate it, so hopefully it's helpful. If you like the analogy, let us know in the comments. But I look at beer as like a tree, and it's a one main trunk that's the beer tr trunk. And then at some point it gets to a Y where you have two main branches going off that the beer tree kind of blooms and blossoms from. Okay. And those are ales. And lagers. Okay. And the only difference between an ale and a lager, you can yeah. have the exact same the recipe. The only difference is the temperature you fermented at. Really? Yeah. You can have the exact same recipe both ways, boiled everything, and you ferment one What's below that? 65 degrees, and it's a lager. If you ferment above, in between 68 and like 75, which is where most ales are fermented, it's an ale. So what's, okay, what is the primary indication? Like, what's the big difference there? Like, I, I understand the Well, lagers end up difference. more crisp. Okay. Yeah, they end up more crisp uh, and kind of cleaner. Crisp, okay. yeah. Interesting. I did not know that. Yep, that's the difference between a lager and an ale. I did know there was only two branches of the tree and then many sub-branches off of that. But, yep. Yeah. And so from the lager side, right, you would have Box, you would have Oktoberfest, you would have Pilsners. Yeah. You know, and same, you have Irish Reds, IPAs, right. Stouts, Porters, you know. Whatever. I do feel like there's more ale varieties than there are lager varieties. What's the older one? I mean, remember, I mean, we okay. couldn't really ferment things sub- you know, natural element temperatures until we could control it with refrigeration. Aha, uh -huh. look at you, smart boy. Nerd. That's, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can create my own laughter if I tell a dumb joke. It's true, you can. You can create your own laughter. Okay, well, let's talk about God. Again? Uh, yeah, but this time it's a little different. <laughs> okay, go. Um, and ironically, we don't have we don't have any books up here that are dedicated to the conversations that we're going to have today, uh, which is conversations about panentheism and oh. open theism. Now, your boy uh, uh, Emil Bruner is on this table. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. And he is the theologian that convinced me uh, to be an uh, uh, an open theist. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. Well. Do you maybe want to share that journey? Maybe that's the best way to do that in 
on along the way say what it is? Uh, yeah, I mean that's it's interesting because um, I mean he he was the first scholar I read that were that really asked the question like how is how can a all knowing all loving all powerful God you know be passable right and like experience suffering and pain, um, and he in this book in particular this is the third volume of his systematic theology um he talks about this idea of uh, god's god's ability and choice to limit god's self so that god does not know uh everything to the point of total determinism uh god has god in his infinite power has put like a filter on or like glasses on or like uh, um, um, has chosen to be less than all uh, all knowing for the sake of restoring relationship between a, a humanity that has rejected him uh, or them has rejected God and God uh, in, attempting to enter continually inviting humanity into a relationship that he isn't quite sure how they will respond uh, because he he is he, I don't know that Bruner would use the term like evolving with humanity or like growing with humanity, but learning with humanity perhaps as we yeah. like careen into the future. Yeah, um, it's like a symbiotic give and take relationship between us and God at this point, whereas before it was not. Yeah. It was a determined, predetermined kind of relationship. I guess so. I guess so. Um, but so that is generally what Bruner uh, thinks, and that's generally what open theism is. And so for me personally, when I was wrestling with that in grad school, I had this thought in the library one day. I went, why is open theism a bad thing? Because in my head, it was always like it was one of those theological was, yeah. moves that was just too far outside yep. of the heterodox, you know, yep. core. Yep. Uh, and so, and so I just I'm I'm reading Bruner, and I'm, you can see this thing's like yeah. tore up yeah, with yeah, annotations yeah, yeah. and stuff. Um, and I and I had this thought in the in the Baylor Library. I was like, why is open theism bad again? And so I went to lunch with a group of colleagues. Uh, and I just said, okay, everybody shut up this entire lunch. Y'all are going to tell me why open theism is wrong or heretical. And one of my closest friends, Ben Hayworth, sitting across the table from me over a plate of salad said, there's nothing wrong with it. You're, <laughs> you're just late. <laughs> so funny. Grad school. <laughs> yeah, grad school. Yeah, my first encounter with open theism, I was also in grad school, but I was not the one researching open theism. Mm. A guy that I was on staff at at the church that I was at, our worship pastor, was also going to grad school. And he was going to grad school at Southwestern. Ugh. And so <laughs> sorry. one of his papers that Trigger. he wrote for, I don't know, I think it was his systematic theology class. Oh, I know this guy. It was like the paper was shitting on why open theism was heretical. It, it was making an argument for open theism. No. Oh, against open. Yeah, theism. that it was heretical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the evangelicals hate that shit. Yeah. Yeah, and so my first predisposition to it was like, oh man, this is bad. Oh yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was in the same boat as you. I thought I was Rob Bell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, somewhere along the way, I don't. I'm not really sure what happened along the deconstruction journey, but I was just like, you know, it really does solve a lot of problems. 
it like open theism yeah. solves a lot of problems that we try to do these like hermeneutical jump rope. Oh yeah. Like, but it's games also, with. but it in and of itself uh, as the resident cynic here is also a theological jump rope that we are jumping into. Okay. Yeah. So maybe the, well, yeah. <laughs> so I, and Okay. Here's how we're going to do this. We're going to talk. That's a brief intro to open theism. But this really, in a conversation about the problem of evil, goes hand in hand with another $10 theological term, okay. which is panentheism. Yes, right. Um, maybe we should differentiate or say panentheism is not pantheism. Pantheism is probably what most of you are thinking, that God is everything. Yeah, or like that God uh, is in ev- like is is essentially in all things like um, like that bush outside the window is Mother God, God. Yeah, but as much as anything, like the floor, like like in- infused into everything, the table, the microphone, any, anything you can see. Yeah, yeah, God, God is everything. Yeah, my problem with that is if God is everything. Then God is nothing. Well, yeah. So that's part of right. it. Is God is nothing. But the and but the atheists all stand up and the crowd goes wild. <laughs> exactly. But my other <laughs> point with this is is that if that is true, then God is dying. Uh, say more. Well, what? the Earth is dying. Okay. I mean, climate it's, change is a very real thing. The earth being, is dying. <clears throat> it's being murdered. Yeah, fine. But it's still dying. Yeah. yeah. And so if God is everything. Just like Jesus was murdered. Then God is dying. Well, but we know that God dies, don't we? Isn't that, isn't that the thing? Except that God was resurrected and lives. Well, maybe there's a resurrection of creation. Oh, yes. Yes. We call it the apocalypse. So you're a pantheist. No, I'm a panentheist. Well, what's the difference, Pastor Cullen? In <laughs> pantheism, God is everything. In panentheism, God is in everything. Wow. <laughs> I hate that one. I, I think it's a pointless sound. I don't know. I have hey, no you know what? Ask, ask the audience. <laughs> hey, hey, is that a pointless sound? I think it's a pointless sound. Okay, sorry, go ahead. So panentheism is this idea that God is in everything. So so yeah, this yeah. table is not God, right? I could not worship this as God in the same way that I would not go worship the tree outside as God. Ooh. But I believe that God is present in that tree. That tree produces life. That tree produces growth. That tree contributes to the atmospheric uh, habitat that we live in. God is definitely in that tree, but that tree is not God. Is God in that tree at some scientific level, or is that only like in a abstract spiritual? Well, it depends on how you want to determine the term life, because okay. that's how I would. God is life, and so anything that gives life mm-hmm. can have God in it. So this um, soundboard. Does no. not have God in it, right? Because no. it is some mechanical, right. like, yeah, non-life-giving. Right. right. Like an inanimate object is not what we're talking about. But what I'm really talking about here is a connection to what Plato called the tripartite soul. Okay. And he broke down the soul as into these three different parts. And the epitome of existence or the epitome of the fullest experience of the soul was a human soul mm. uh, because it had a mind. And a body and a soul 
and it was the fullest experience of life. That's pretty presumptuous of Plato. Well, the second tier is animals. Mm-hmm. Because what can they not do? Well, they can't do a lot of the things that we can do, right? I guess, yeah. Like, and then the or- third. Organized? They can't organize. Well, they do, though. The chimpanzee is wild. Right. But then the <laughs> third tier is like plants and grass and things because yeah. they breathe. Right, we, right, we right. do not exist without the greenery around us taking what we put yeah. out and taking it in for its own food and putting out what we take in. See, this is what's crazy. Okay, maybe this, maybe I'm running uh, on, down a bunny trail, but here, here's the problem I see with it. Th- like this is this is the problem with white men determining hierarchies. Okay. Okay. Follow me here. Okay. So the, at the top of this brother's hierarchy is himself. It, yo. Yeah. Hello. Always. Hello. And the crowd goes wild. (laughs) (laughs) And at the bottom is the tree. But but here's the deal, Plato. Without that tree, you are dead, brah. Yeah. Then that tree is going to survive and thrive without you, human. Yeah. So the hierarchy is flippity flopped. Well, when actually, we make, when we make ourselves the preeminent species in which everything is, is exists for us, that's when we are a parasite. But Plato wasn't doing that because he called it a tripartite soul, okay, a three so, part soul. So every oh, all, all parts were intermingled and in independent, but also necessary for one another. Okay, so it's like a holism. Well, yeah, because actually that tree will not live without us. Because mm. what what does that tree take in for its food source? It needs carbon dioxide, but there are other things that are producing carbon dioxide. What 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 in nature that we did not create produces carbon dioxide nothing i don't know we do okay we do and the things that we make and build doesn't the bear release carbon dioxide oh i guess other mammals would yeah yeah you're right you're right you're right i guess other mammals would so nature itself is cyclical in that way. It's, that's or what I'm circular. Saying. That's what I'm saying. That's yeah. what I'm saying. And Plato it's, would agree. It goes all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah Plato yeah. would agree that we need all of them. And that's why all of this is a distorted representation of the forms, which are perfect. Mm. Because mm. It, it like it is circle, circular. Circular. Uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, circular. Beer. Uh, okay, sorry. So that was yeah. an so aside. That's, yeah, that's open theism and panentheism. Now, mm. the way they work together is open theism really is only about God's knowledge. It like that's really the only thing it's trying to solve. However, there's a guy named Jurgen Moltmann. Oh yeah. That has come along. Well, he's like the most famous open theist. Uh and and panentheist. Or panentheist. And, yeah, that's, that's what really that's what, what yeah, that's yeah. really what he's famous for. Yeah. And he's like in the, what, like right around World War II, like 1940s? I think he died in the 60s. Okay, yeah. yeah. So the heart of his research writing and career is in like the 40s. 50s, somewhere around there. Yeah. yeah. Um, As if we couldn't Google this, but yes. Uh, yeah, that's a great. <laughs> <laughs> Prolific author, um, tons of influence. On, German theologian, um, um, German reformed theologian, born in 1926. When did he die? Uh um, watch him still be alive. Watch him still be alive. No, I'm certain he. There's no way he's still alive. If, if he uh, is, you're gonna. I have, maybe he's still alive, man. There is no death date. Yeah, bro, he's still alive. Yay, Professor Moltmann. Deepest apologies. Uh, yeah. So and uh and so the reason that I want to bring that up is we can sit here and say all day long that culture and what's happening around you should not have impact your theology. Mm. 
It's it's a facade. It's a lie. Well, it's of a, course it's going to. It's an impossibility. Well, you can't look around during World War II and go, oh my God, millions of Jews are being murdered. Surely that shouldn't impact my theology. Right. There's just no way that can happen because that's your reality that you're observing in the way that you think God should be and or is interacting in the world. And there's so much theology that's wrapped up in it too. Correct. Uh, yeah. So Jürgen Moltmann, around this time, ends up, becoming like the heart of like panentheism theology. Yeah. But he takes it further to say that, okay, well, if God is in everything, then God certainly can't be all powerful because that would also mean that God is in the disabled person. God is in the person that can be harmed. God is in the suffering, uh -huh, uh -huh. which means if God suffers, God cannot be ultimately powerful. Right. God is passable, right. not impassable. Can suffer. And that was a huge change. That was a huge like shift right. in everything in these conversations. Because before, the presupposition was God is impassable. Right. God cannot change, and God cannot suffer. Right. But suffering is change. Yeah, that's right. And so when Moltmann comes out and goes, nope, God absolutely suffers and is passable. Right. Um, that was, that was an earthquake through the theological landscape, especially coming out of Germany when it comes out of there, because German academic theology, even today leads the world. Um, yeah, white, white people, man. Well, and it's, it's just Europeans, bruh. Well, and they have, yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons. Stranglehold. That's why where's Gustavo? He's on. Yeah, here somewhere. yeah, yeah, yeah. So all of that leads up to a point where panentheism ends up kind of encompassing this concept that like self-limitation of God, yeah, not right. just about God's knowledge, right. but maybe about other attributes of what it would mean to be truly God. Yeah. God could choose voluntarily to limit those things of themselves for a time, for right. a season. Um. And that, that's, if you look at it, you never get that kind of language about Yahweh, right? In scripture, you never get that kind of language about Yahweh, that so Yahweh, similar. well, you never get a clear depiction of Yahweh where Yahweh chooses to relent power. Mm, doesn't Moses um, like argue oh. with him or something? Oh yeah, but is that relenting power Man, or is I'm that God changing their mind? Uh, how are those two things? How are those two operations different? Because I can still hold a gun to your head that is power and say, "Hey, I'm going to kill you," and you talk me out of doing it, and I still hold the gun. I never took. I never let you take away my power. I just let you change my mind about what I wanted to do with it. Okay. I'm sure there's a hole in that somewhere, but I can't find it. So. Well, actually, that I'm, is my point. Okay. <laughs> that is my point is that you never see Yahweh actually give up power or relinquish power. But you do see Yahweh passable. You see God change. You see God change their mind. You see right. God almost break their promises. Right. Yeah. When when Moses convinces him or when Moses convinces them not to kill the Israelites, 
what God says to Moses is, hey, go down there. We're going to kill them all, and I'm going to start over with you just like I did with Noah. Yeah. but That's a bad God. Well, that's a God that would have broken a promise that they said they would not do. Because uh, of the rainbow, apparently. Well, that's only to destroy it by water. Oh. But to start over with another family, you can't do that because you have to go through Abraham. You've already made that covenant with Abraham. You can't kill everybody and start over with Moses. Yeah, man, I don't know. It would be a lot of incest. <laughs> it already was. <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> Crazy stories, y'all. Okay, so open theism and panentheism. They're all like real philosophical, theological concepts. Mm -hmm. Like there's not, nobody was really, well, and lots of times you're not necessarily concerned with biblical theology and all of this because the Bible's not talking about it. Yeah. And so we don't always, like lots of times we have theological conversation. We don't always have to root them in the Bible because the conversation partner we're having didn't root them in the Bible. But if you could root them in our sacred text, it would be helpful, right? That's a... Uh, yeah, I mean, yes. <laughs> That's a value. Well, it, for someone who might still value the sacred text. Like, it depends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, very Who's, fair. Know very your fair. audience. Know your audience. Yeah, to some people, that might be important. Um, and I think I told you on the last episode that I think all of this, God laying down their power, so both in a, like an open theism way and a panentheism way, that just like God's voluntary self-limitation. I think all of that happened in the person of Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Right. Right. And so if you were looking for a biblical construct to put this in, yeah. I think I really do think the best one is the Christ hymn in Philippians two. Yeah. I mean, it is there. I mean, so like, and this is, this is kind of why, like I had that epiphany one day. I'm like, wait, why is open theism a problem? Cause like yeah. Jesus kind of, explicitly does it exactly and says or at least authors reflecting on jesus you know what i mean so it's like what are we what are we doing here but yeah i mean he 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 to to be human is to be passable to be yeah crucified is to be passable right yeah it exactly is the, the passion for a reason and so if well, you're gonna hold that maybe, he's god then maybe maybe we should say to die is to be passable. well and to suffer right i mean yeah. he I'm sure he had a headache. I'm sure he had a stomach ailment. We know he wept over the death of a friend. Lazarus. He was human, right? Yeah. Like he experienced a human condition in all of its ways. And so yeah. he experienced suffering in all of its ways. Now, I just so happen to believe that's not that dramatic because he wasn't all that special apart from other humans. But if he's going to be some like eternally existent de deity, that makes and he is one trinitarian well, but wait, with with the father then this must imply uh things about the father's omnipotence and omniscience as well well i think i'm struggling with your comment a little bit about him being pre-existent and <laughs> about such. how jesus isn't special <laughs> well well just because it's it <laughs> it does appear that you've kind of evolve two things together which is one of those you what what did i do What's well that? you're forgetting that in luke 2 mm -hmm. we get a story of jesus as a little boy yeah and we get a phrase in there where he grew in knowledge 
and wisdom yep. and stature. Yep. So it's not like little 8.6 pound infant baby Jesus. Few baby Jesus. Is a you know, omnipotent, omniscient sure, being. Sure, sure. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. But just because we believe that some element of the source of that person is divine more so and in a different way than ours doesn't mean that like, I actually think it furthers my point that Jesus comes first as a baby because yeah. it is God growing and evolving and learning with humanity as an infant going through every step of the process of being human. Yeah. It's okay. So here's a the, here's like an age old theological question that there's many, many volumes on, but like, so in response to that, it, to to what degree does the Godhead experience the passableness, the suffering, the vulnerability, the weakness of the Son? To to what to what degree does the Godhead participate in the the passion of the Son? Right, if, if they are one. Then this is such a, like a extremely trinitarian conversation. <laughs> this is the next episode. Okay, the next we, episode. We should, episode. yeah. So we'll we'll do this conversation about Jesus and God suffering and limiting power and all of that in the next episode, and then we'll have the conversation on two episodes from now, where we track God's perspective through the story. Okay, yeah. Old Testament to New Testament kind of thing. Okay. All right. See you on the. What does this one do? Oh, it's like the Twilight dark. Zone. Yeah, it's like dark. Can I run two at the same time? You can do anything you want, dude. Look. Birdie Look, dark. You can run this music and hit your drums to run this music. Yeah. The audience hates us. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Pints and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.